I was worried about screwing. Not holding. <laughs> well, the technology is what it is. So sure uh, it is what it is. Jeff, tell me what's going on this week. Did we sit down and have a good conversation with Jamie Moyer? And uh, we're going to bring that up. Yeah, it was great to talk to Jamie, catch up with one of the uh, 2008 world champions. Uh, Jamie's a great guy, and I think we should just kick it to the interview. Sounds good. Let's go. We're excited to welcome 2008 world champion and local hero, Jamie Moyer. Jamie, how you doing today? I'm doing well this morning. How are you guys? Well, for you guys, it's afternoon. For me, it's morning. Yeah. Um, and you probably have better weather than we do. Probably. probably. Uh, today, today it, the sun's out. We've had a, a, our fair share of rain here in the last week to two weeks. Which is not the best when you're staying in the house. So we'll go back to a more fun time when, right. you know, we, we like to talk about a, a lot of things on the show, obviously balls and strikes and baseball, but also you kind of represent somebody that we often like to talk about in terms of your community work, your baseball work, but also you were a three sport athlete, baseball, golf, and basketball growing up. We've talked to Tim Tebow and others about trying multiple sports. What, what are your thoughts on how playing a diversity of sports sort of helped you as an athlete growing up? Well, I, first, first and foremost, you didn't get stale with one sport, uh, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, there's different roles in each sport. Uh, in golf, obviously, the outcome, it, it's, you know, one-on-one. Either you're going against the course or you're playing against somebody or you're in a foursome and it's, you know, each guy against themselves or two against two, however you're choosing to play your game that day. Um, you know, some are team sports, some are individual sports, uh, some are indoors, some are outdoors. So I just think, you know, the way I was raised um, and the, the the era that I grew up in, um, that's what you did. You played as many sports as you could. Uh, you were diverse in a lot of sports. And it really wasn't thought about to play only one sport. Um, I think, obviously, viewpoints have changed on that more emphasis on winning. Um, and you know, we all think, um, you know, either we at the time we're going to get a scholarship or as parents now, we all think our kid is going to get a scholarship. Uh, and those who have been through it know what I'm talking about because scholarships are really hard to attain. You have to be a pretty good athlete, uh, to attain that because, and now there's so many kids that are playing one sport um, it's become really, really competitive. So to me, um, you know, and the other thing I'm going to mention, it's the fun. If, if you're not having fun playing, guess what ends up happening at some point when kids get to become teenagers, they, they realize that they have a voice and then they usually lose interest and, and stop playing. In playing three sports, um, it might have to do with, I don't know if they had that many athletes in Saturday when you were there. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, well, in talking to some of the Saturday uh, people over the last week, uh, you remain a real hero to them in a lot of different ways, not just as an athlete, but also as, as, as somebody that was a leader in the Philadelphia community. Um, but one of the things that I've heard is that you once threw three no-hitters in a row. So is that Saturday legend? Or is that fact? Uh, it's fact. Look at that. Um, you know, it was high school baseball. I get it. <laughs> and I'm not trying to downplay that. Uh, but, you know, 
East Coast baseball in the spring um, can be tough at times, and I'm glad I played it on the East Coast and in in you know the inclement weather and things like that. Uh, because look, we play sport and it doesn't matter what it is. You're going to deal with some sort of adversity. Um, and as I got older and became more mature, um, that's a big thing that you have to deal with is adversity in sport. Um, so whether it's the weather or whether it's the winning and the losing part of it, um, or going through, you know, not being successful. So, the sooner you can start to learn some of those things and learning how to deal with some of those things, um, I think is important, but yeah, it is true. I believe I'm, I think it was my junior year where I did throw those three no hitters. Um, you know, look, I was in high school. I could throw two pitches for strikes. I could throw a fastball that wasn't that fast, but it was competitive. Um, and I had a big loopy curveball. And at that time, you know, kids didn't see people able to throw curveballs for strikes. So you were the guy that made so, those kids all look silly, where their knees buckled with the curveball dropping in. There were some like that, yes. There <laughs> were some, like that. but you know, it, we didn't know any better. And it was it was high school. You know, it was high school baseball, and you were just out there competing with your friends. You you went through, and we we do a a show uh, on the minor league Philly system, and you know through your time in the career, we saw some of your best friendships were developed. Can you talk about the lessons you learned in the minors? Everybody always focuses on making it to the big leagues, but we find that when talking to athletes in the minors, their development there is often critical to what happens after as they go forward. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think first of all, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, talk about a little bit about what it was like to be. I was in the Cubs organization as my, you know uh, drafted at '84, and you know they were into the, really into the development then, and that's back when Dallas Green actually was with um, with the Cubs organization. And, uh, they were really about development and, and repetition. And we worked really hard on that when we, you know, our days were long, uh, they were rigorous and we had actually had to walk to and from the ballpark, which is about a mile down the road and which, you know, and, and there were, you know, dress code rules. And, you know, so there were, there were things that they were sticklers on. You had to wear a belt, you had to wear nice tennis shoes, you had to wear jeans, no holes in the jeans. You had to wear a collared shirt. Um, you know, this was what, 30 some years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday, right? Cause it had an impact on me. So, and then it was paying attention to detail and you start to learn those things and you see some people that go against it and don't want to play by the rules. And, you know, and you think, well, that's kind of piddly. Well, it's not necessarily, they're not trying to be piddly, but they're trying to teach you something. And that was my take out of it. And then once we got on the field, like I said, they were long days. Um, we got a short break for lunch, and we didn't really get a whole lot to eat. And you got soup, and you got saltines, and you got some Gatorade. Uh, but you were there to work. And I think once you understood that, and I know the people in the Philadelphia area get that, you know, they have a great value for what it is like to work. You know, blue collar and and I can't, I grew up in that kind of environment as well. So I understood it. I had a job at the age of 12. It was my first job. So, um, you know, 
having that instilled in a different way as a professional baseball player um, really did have an impact on me. And, you know, it laid some of the groundwork um, as I continued to grow and mature in the game of baseball. One of the things a lot of people appreciate, at least from Philadelphia, about you is is the attention to details. Is, is that something, like one of the things that, that we always heard about was that when there was a pop-up in the infield, that you were there yelling two hands to make yeah, sure yeah. that they that yeah, they didn't yeah. miss that. Where where did you learn that? Is that something you grew up with or is that something that was that, attention to detail from the minors? Yeah, I think that I kind of grew up with that. And it also, like I, as I just mentioned, it, you know, it started in the minor leagues. That two hands thing kind of started out when I went back to AAA when I was in Rochester with uh, the Orioles. And I did it one day. I don't even know why I did it. And uh, when we came in from the, the inning being over, uh, I had a teammate said, that was funny. And I'm like, what was funny? He goes, when you hollered two hands. And I'm like, I, I didn't really look at that as funny, but so I just kind of started doing it. Right. And I wasn't, maybe I was trying to be funny, but I was all, you know, I kind of look at a, a pop-up, especially in the infield. It's like a free throw on basketball. You know, it, there's nobody guarding you in basketball. That's a, that's a, you know, a shot that, you know, your percentages should be pretty high. Well, pop up your percentages should be really, really high. And as I went into my career, I can remember, um, you know, and sometimes they get dropped, but I remember in the big leagues, um, when I would do it, even in spring training, kind of joking around, um, I had a teammate drop a pop up in a game and he just kind of looked at me and I'm like, okay, well, you know, you dropped it, but I worked really hard to get that pop up and it's an out. Right. And there's 27 of them in a, in a game. And it's the, you know, it's the team or the pitcher who can get those uh, most consistently. And when you drop them, you know, it forces you to throw more pitches and outcomes can be different. So, um, you know, when he dropped it, he felt horrible. Um, I felt horrible for him because he was embarrassed. But, I, you know, again, that's why you use two hands, right? And when you are when you first start playing baseball, you're taught to catch the ball with two hands. Now, of course, I had teammates that would defy that and say, well, you know, I can catch better with one hand than two hands. And I'd say, well, you know, that's your choice. But, you know, basic fundamentals are important, I think. Um, and whether it's footwork covering first base, whether it's footwork going to field a bunt, uh, whether it's, you know, look at a base dealer. Footwork is important, you know, to get – you know, to second base as quickly as possible for a hitter footwork is important for a catcher footwork is important for an infielder footwork is important for an outfielder footwork is important when you're going to make a throw. So there's, you know, there's some basic fundamentals in this game that I think are really important to have learned. And so, yeah, the pop-up thing, you know, and even now I, you know, if I go you know to a ballpark and see some old teammates and the stories start flying, Somebody usually brings up the story of the two hands thing, and we kind of joke and laugh about it, but there was some validity to to what I was trying to do. You make it to the majors, and growing up, Steve Carlton was one of your heroes. You get to make your first start against him. What was that like? It was a pretty exciting day for me. Um, You know, I had never been in Wrigley Field, um, never really been to Chicago, so... Um, you know, having that opportunity in 86, uh, to pitch against number one, the Phillies, number two, my idol, 
Uh, and number three in major league baseball. I mean, that was my, that was my dream. Um, you know, it was pretty exciting. Uh, Steve was still, I'm not going to say in the prime of his career, but he was still a pretty darn good pitcher. Um, and it was an honor, uh, to have pitched against Steve. And like you said, pretty cool, you know, your first major league start to, to pitch against your idol. Uh, and then for us, the Cubs to, uh, to beat the Phillies as well. So, um, you know, and it gets you off to a nice positive start in your career. At some point uh, along your journey in the major leagues, you end up with your, your hometown team, the Phillies. What was it like to sign that contract? Uh, it was pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I was, uh, at that point, it was 2006. I got traded from the Mariners to the Phillies. And um, I was contemplating on retiring um, after that season. Um, this was before I came to Philadelphia. I was contemplating on retiring. Um, I just felt like we weren't going in a really positive direction in Seattle. And the concern for winning wasn't in the forefront uh, with that particular team. And we were out of it by, you know, probably by, by July. So, um you know, that wasn't what I was there for, um, to just kind of go through the motions. So having the opportunity to come to Philadelphia and all of a sudden being on a team with a lot of younger players, a lot of hungry players that were, you know, they were chasing, uh, you know, to be in a pennant. Unfortunately, in 06, it fell short. But uh, that is, when I came to Philadelphia, that infused uh, some energy into me. Um, and to see walk into that clubhouse and see the excitement and to be in Citizens Bank Park, which I had never been in uh, previous to that, um, was pretty exciting. And I thought, you know, I feel like I still have something to contribute. I am not going to retire if, you know, the Phillies would be willing to have me back. So in, you know, the, the winter of 06, uh, signing that contract to play in 07, uh, I was very excited. And then obviously 07, 08, 09, you know, pretty much explains or describes itself. And, you know, it was, you know, pretty exciting times for me and my career and us as an organization and our fan base as well. In the World Series, you got to start game three at home. I saw a story. You weren't feeling great as you left the bullpen. It was the first time you decided to really look around and take it all in. What was that moment like for you to, to be on the mound and, and really take that moment to, to breathe it in? Well, it was, you're right. Um, coming, coming out of the bullpen, I normally tried not to be, get, allow, you know, my situation to be distracting and that meaning by walking in and just taking everything, I really would try to stay focused, but you know, I gave myself permission uh, one time to just kind of, you know, taking the excitement. Obviously, the game was delayed. Uh, I can remember walking out and back into the bull, you know, from the bullpen. Uh, water coming up over the sides of my shoes. That water was chilly, by the way. Uh, um, and really, just kind of, you know, there was a, uh, obviously it's the World Series. There's a great deal of excitement um, when fans, obviously, not because it was me, but when they see that starting pitcher, especially from the home team walking in from the bullpen, you know, that's a sign of something. That's a sign that, Hey, the game's going to start. And, you know, the, the noise level, 
uh, increased. And obviously, um, you know, I was, you know, I can remember the lights. I can remember the, you know, people waving their towels. I can remember the excitement, um, the electricity in the ballpark. And, you know, it was exciting times. We had just, you know, obviously split in Tampa, uh, the first series. Uh, so the series was, um, one-to-one and uh having uh, the opportunity to start a, a world series game was for me was a lifelong dream uh, my goal was to go out and, and you know be a successful pitcher and, and allow our team to be in a situation to to possibly win a game felt like i accomplished that we ended up winning the game which puts us ahead in that series two to one and obviously the rest is history we we know what has happened but, uh, you know, to have that edge uh, playing at home uh, was pretty exciting. And, again, it was a very exciting times for my family, for uh, my teammates, uh, the organization, and, uh, you know, obviously the fans. It was really cool to see um, the excitement with the fans, how they embraced us as a team, whether it be during the World Series or, you know, even take it one step further, the parade. The parade was um, just an unbelievable experience. That was <laughs> as a as a fan to to be there. Uh, that was beyond cool. Is it true that you took the rubber from the pitching mound after Game Five of the World Series? Yes. Don't don't admit to it if you don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have it here in my home. That's pretty cool. That that's definitely cool. So, Jamie, one of the things that um, when, when your name comes up, ultimately because of your longevity in the game, is there's all these stats about the oldest this and the oldest that and is the old timer in, in, in this duo of Jason and I. I, I appreciate that. But I got to ask you, which of the following of these oldest stats are you most proud of? There's four of them. Oldest player to win a major league game. Oldest player to get an RBI in a major league game. Uh, at the time you retired facing 8.9% of all hitters in major league history or being the oldest player to get his own bobblehead. Uh, uh, I can't. Well, Personally, I just can't fathom that. Um, I, I, I know what it is, but I just can't fathom that. The get a hit thing. If anybody saw a video of that hit, <laughs> if I, I don't even know if it's on YouTube. But the ball went into where we call what we call the Bermuda Triangle, uh, which is between the mound and first base. Actually, and Dexter Fowler, who was pretty fast, was happened to be on second base. Um, I took a I took a full swing. That thing trickled to the Bermuda Triangle. The pitcher overran it. The first baseman eventually picked it up and ran towards me at the baseline and tried to do a swipe tag. Just barely missed me. Um, this, I mean, this all this event kind of was in slow motion for me, <laughs> uh, and it took so long that both runners scored from you know third base and second base. So yeah, now if you picked up a box score. I could, and we were having a conversation. I could tell you I hit a double off the wall, right? But that ball never left, uh, didn't even go 90 feet, and I I got two RBIs. So I'm uh, that's kind of cool. 
it's a hit. It scored as a hit, but I didn't really hit the ball. Like, you know, wasn't like on the barrel of the bet, hit the ball hard somewhere. So to really answer, I'm going to say the oldest to win a major league game. I think that's pretty cool. Um, we had Don Carmen on last week and we talked to him a lot about sports psychology. And, uh, I often talk a lot about how I think it's important for athletes to sort of normalize mental health, uh, as somebody who grew up with my own challenges to have an athlete there. It's pretty cool. Um, but for you, you used it to really evaluate what you're doing with the batters and to get them off balance. Can you talk about how sports psychology impacted your long-term success in the game? I think sports psychology was one of the biggest things, uh, was probably one of the biggest springboards for me starting in 1991. Uh, I was crossroads and uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Harvey Dorfman uh, who wrote a book with Carl Keel, uh, The Mental Guide to Baseball. And I read that book several times, thought I really understood it, had a great opportunity to spend two and a half days with Harvey Dorfman. And he really got me to take kind of take a step outside of my body and look at who I was as a baseball player mentally, not physically, mentally, and how I approached things, what I thought, what my thoughts were, um, if there were negative thoughts, positive thoughts, how I prepared, all that kind of stuff. And upon doing so, and it took a long time, it took me that off season and I worked on it for the remainder of my career, but realizing there were so many places that I could become mentally better, mentally stronger, uh, more consistent and having control over my own thoughts. And when I had a negative thought, teaching myself how to get rid of that negative thought and put a positive spin on it, uh, along with, you know, I changed my whole preparation repertoire um, as I move forward and uh, learning how to do this, uh, learning how to slow the game down. Um, there's so many things on the mental side of the game um, that we do have control over. Okay. As an athlete, there's things that we have control over and there's things we don't have control over. And unfortunately we put way too, as an athlete, we put way too much focus on things we don't have a control over. And if you put those, and my theory is if you put those energies and thoughts into th things that you do have control over, you can take more responsibility for who you are as an athlete. And that's something that I learned and I really felt that I became really good at. Jamie, one of the other things that you became really good at was was your community work. Uh, I know the Phillies have always been a, a team that uh, encourages it, but but you and your wife Karen uh, have been involved and, and have a legacy of giving back in philanthropy. You've won the Roberto Clemente Award, the Lou Gehrig Memorial Award, the Hutch Award, the Branch Rickey Award. How did you get involved in the charities that you're involved in, and and what has it meant to you and to your family? Uh, you know. You're right. The Phillies um, are a, a, a fantastic organization when it comes to giving back in the community. And, and you know, for me, it started uh, before I even came to Philadelphia um, with the Mariners. And, you know, just found that, you know, giving back uh, in the community is a big thing and trying to help less fortunate people uh, or people that are in need. 
and uh, saw the, I, I hate to use the word value, um, because it really, to me, it's, it, it's, it wasn't about me. It was about trying to help people that, that are in need or in less fortunate situations. And uh, being an athlete and kind of being on a stage, uh, you can bring things to the forefront um, to alert people about that and to make a, an impact in a community. And whether it was in Seattle, Philadelphia, or wherever it might be, uh, being able to do that was really important. And being able to do that with the Phillies organization, who I've said you know, previously are, are very supportive of that. I had a, a great deal of teammates that uh, you know felt the same way and either had their own foundations or had their own causes uh, that they were uh, that were important to them. So it was fun to team up with the Phillies. It was fun to team up with uh, teammates and and make a difference in the Philadelphia community. One other thing I just had to ask is somebody who's been going to Phillies games for a long time is, we always noticed that on days you didn't pitch, you spent a tremendous amount of time along the sides just signing autographs for little kids. Why did you do that, and what led you to, to, to kind of take on that kind of role with the Phillies? You know, I wish I would have done it earlier in my career. I didn't really understand the value of that. Uh, and again, it wasn't – some of it was for me, but some of it was for the experience to come to the ballpark too. And I do remember when I was a young kid and would come to the ballpark, and not often did I get all the way down to the field. A lot of times when I was a kid and we would go to the vet, we sat in the in the upper deck in those beautiful yellow seats that were in, in, in Veterans Stadium. Uh, so I always didn't get a chance to get down to the field, but when I did get a chance to get down to the field, you wanted to, you know, get as close as possible. And actually, and when I was a teenager, uh, you know, going to a Reading Phillies game was even more exciting for me because I could go stand right beside the bullpen and I could physically watch people throwing. And that was a lot of fun. And you bring up Don Carmen, um, I'm going to, you know, make him sound a little bit older, but uh, I used to watch Don Carmen. I watched Keith Moreland. I watched Ryan Sandberg as minor league baseball players. And to me, that was exciting um, to have that opportunity to get close to the players. You could almost feel like you were a part of it. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I like that side of it. And uh, it was, you know, I learned that, later in my career that the opportunity to give something back to somebody's experience at the ballpark was a lot of fun. The interaction um, with people that I eventually came up with, the interaction with people was a lot of fun. You could joke with people, you could laugh with people. Kids sometimes were shy. You could kind of help them with that shyness, you know, that, that 10, 15 second, 30 second interaction with people. Um, sometimes leaves a, a lifelong impression. So, uh, and I think as a player, it's part of our responsibility, you know, as a, as an active player, um, you know, I answer, I took pride in answering all my mail that would come to the ballpark. You know, I'd sign an autograph on cards and things like that, put in the mail and, and send it back. Uh, again, it's part of the experience, I think as a baseball player and, you know, it's part of the legacy that, you, that, that I chose to leave behind. Well, Jamie, we can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, we hope that when the games get back going, we can have you on sometime to talk about what's going on on the field and uh, wish you and your family uh, health and safety. 
All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Enjoy your day. Thank you so much. You know, Jeff, he talks about his legacy in terms of what it meant for people in the city. Can you talk about it, what it meant for your son to, to do that? I, I think it's not just my kid. I think it, it's, it's, it's the whole community, it, not just here, but in Seattle and pretty much everywhere he played. But, you know, I, I communicated with him afterwards as well. He, he wants to make a difference. It's clear that, that his purpose is more than just base, baseball, but using baseball. And this is what athletes should do is to be able to use this platform to change other people's lives. And, and he, he talked about just doing it by just going over and talking to kids and acknowledging kids over on the sideline on days that he didn't pitch. And, and I can tell you that with my own son, it made an impact. And, and, and you see it with other people, and Janie recognized it. And then it goes beyond that and out into the community with the work that he and his wife and the Phillies have done for years, which is, is all the community service that they do. And, you know, you got to give this guy credit. He stuck around for an incredibly long time persevered and changed so bit so many people's lives and he's still doing it i enjoyed some of the baseball stories the fact that he took the rubber from the mound uh the fact that he recognized that that game three was something special for him and what it meant for him to bring a title to here in philadelphia that was just kind of cool to me to, to hear an athlete kind of reflect that way yeah uh, it's it's really enjoyable to to hear athletes reminisce about their time especially good times i mean who who will ever forget from philadelphia 2008 and that entire team not i i was actually working with you at the time and went outside of your law firm to go watch the parade from the philadelphia office uh, so. now, well i guess it's a little too late for me to do anything about it huh yeah, it's uh, a little too late for it. I think we now have uh, Haywood Highsmith on the line. Haywood, are you there? I thought he was on the line. We said he was on the uh -huh. line. So we're going to uh -huh. have Haywood Highsmith on and talk a little bit about uh, him still playing basketball in some form while we're all sitting in our homes, including the players. He's trying to. He's definitely trying to keep playing basketball while while he's doing it all. Uh, Jeff, we'll let, let him work it out in the studio and try and fix it up real fast, okay? Yeah, sounds good to me. So right. while we do that, let's talk. Are you watching what's going on with the NBA right now, the the draft, the offseason, everything? Well, I think the most interesting thing about what's going on is what's going on with, with not just the NBA draft, but with the new rules regarding the G League, of which, you know, Hay Haywood came in through the G League, not through this particular rule, because this is a new one coming out this year, but this developmental league that they're now doing where a player can make up to $500,000 playing in the league and forego the, forego the draft. I, I think that's going to change college basketball and the landscape it for, for a long time, if not forever. Hey, would you there? We'll bring you on and talk about what's going on with the league. Yeah, I'm here. There we go. We got you right there. All right. So, hey, Jeff, before we go ahead before, and take it away. Yeah. Hey, before we talk about, um, about what you've been doing off the court or on the court through a computer game. Uh, I got to ask you. So, uh, you know, we covered the Blue Coats last year. Uh, we loved seeing you play there. But part of, part of the enjoyment of going and seeing G League games is watching guys like you develop. And mm -hmm. I remember going to the game at your first game, your first NBA game uh, against the, I believe it was against the Wizards at uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the Wells Fargo Center. What was it like for you 
that day to 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 not only go up there, put on the Sixers jersey, uh, line up with your teammates for the pregame, but also get in that game. I mean, that was probably one of the greatest days of my life. For real, I mean, that was it was fun. It was nice, and I also played a G League game prior to that game the same day. So I played two games in one day, and I haven't done that since I don't know like AAU days, but. Um, you know, my family was there, my father, my mother, my brother was there, you know, I had some friends there. And um, you know, just sitting off your first NBA game, of course there's some nerves. You don't know what's gonna happen, but um it was just an amazing experience, you know, I loved it from the beginning to end. You know, I got in the game and I you know, I hit my first shot that I took and it was an unbelievable feeling and I'll never forget that moment, you know, ever in my life. All right, so so here's the question that most fans ask. How do how do you how did your family all get there? When did you oh, find well, out that you were going to go up and play? Yeah, well, they well we already planned signing the two way contract that day, right? And so my parents was already there because it was a G League game earlier. Um, and Baltimore, Baltimore's not that far from um, Philadelphia, like a two hour drive. So they were going to drive up to the G League game earlier that day. So they drove up to the G League game earlier that day. You know, came and see me play in the G League game. After the G League game, I was supposed to sign the two-way contract. After that, go to the Sixers training facility, sign a two-way contract. They came with me, signed a contract, and then you know I found out after, basically after the contract, that you know they wanted me to call me up for the game later against the Wizards with the Sixers. So of course, you know my parents are so excited. You know they're going to an NBA game to see me play, and I'll be there. And you know they was they came out, and um, you know it happened happened like that, I guess basically. So what what was the first thing that that you remember any of the Sixers saying to you, or the first piece of advice, whether it be funny or it be something that you could take with you and and use as you went forward? Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of them greeted me with loving, loving, um, loving funness. You know, they all said, you know, hey, what's up? Introduced ourselves. I knew a couple of the guys, but um, you know, they just told me just keep working, keep grinding. You know, it's not over just because you signed the two way. You know, it was um, it's just the beginning. So, you know, they said this is at the beginning, and I'm just to keep working, basically. So now that everybody's adjusting to things and looking for things to do, uh, you and a teammate are playing a little Xbox. Michael Bryson representing the Blue Coats in the Xbox One bracket tournament. Uh, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, me uh, me and Michael play together all the time, so we definitely wanted to do it. Um, the tournament, it was a great way for um, us players and the fans to reconnect, you know, we're missing basketball. You know, we all miss the game, you know, and I'm happy to be part of something that allows us to feel, you know, a sense of the community again. You know, everybody misses, you know, putting putting, um, putting that basketball in the air and dribbling it, you know, watching people play. But um, the 2K tournament definitely, you know, made me um, made me happy doing that. It was, a, it was a nice way just to reconnect with the fans and just enjoy basketball once again. How are you handling the time it obviously came up from a shock from people trying to keep your game going, practice, you know, weight training, everything like that. It's a little hard for you now with everything that's going on. I'm just being creative. I feel like I'm just trying to find new ways to just, you know, challenge my body and challenge myself as far as a basketball player and an athlete. Um, I've definitely been jogging a lot outside. You know, I've been doing some hills. I got some free weights in my, um, in my house that I use every now and then. I've been stretching a lot. And, you know, also doing some, some um, yoga, you know, helping with my mental health, you know, because I've never been away from the game as long. Basketball has been my life. So I've just been being creative with myself, you know, doing different things, you know, trying to do different things out, and, you know, just staying with my family, and, you know, just um, having fun. 
All right. So, so you, this is probably the longest you you just said the longest you've been away from basketball. Does that mean that you're long away from Connor Johnson, or does he check in? Oh no, nah, Connor. Connor texts me and calls me all the time. You know, me and him are are tight. You know, we know each other for about two years now. Called me the other day. You know, so excited. You know, so so excited. You know, about my future and where I'm going. And you know, he's a great guy, and I appreciate everything he's done for me. Um, that's my right hand guy for sure. Well, look, you and I have different views of Connor. He cut me after an open tryout. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, have you been watching but the I'd NBA? Like to point out, I still haven't been cut. Yeah, well, that's because you didn't make it through practice. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, I was not hey, cut yet. I haven't been told that I made the team. Thank you. Hey, what have you been <laughs> watching the NBA's Game of Horse? Uh, not really. I heard about that. I heard, um, did Mike Conley win? That's what they said. I really haven't watched it a lot. He, he did win it. He had a, a behind the back layup. Uh, it's an interesting concept, but I, I think that you guys miss basketball just as much, if not more than the fans at this point is what it seems like. Wow. I, I've never seen behind the back layup. That's, that's, that's wild. All right. So, hey, what, have, you, have you ever played horse with your friends? You had to have. Yeah, of course. All my right. father, so my what's, the, what's the craziest shot you've ever made in a game of horse against your teammates or your friends? Uh, probably not like going behind, like going out of bounds on the baseline behind the backboard. Um, a one that was high in the air and it just bounced all net into the room behind the backboard and the, on the baseline. Hey, Haywood, what's it like for for you to sort of watch the growth of the G League? Now we have players that have the opportunity to come in. Um, when you started, the league was was still trying to to flourish a little bit. Now you've got people who are really looking at maybe passing up on that college experience to come in directly with that talent. What's it like for you to see this league grow that you've been such a part of? Yeah, I mean, it just shows the growth, the, um, the growth of the G League and how much you know how much you how 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 much you can use in it to you know prepare yourself for bigger things coming ahead. You know you got top recruits in high school coming to the G League. You know it's gonna make it more fun and more competitive for guys who's in there right now. You know the G League is definitely a tool everybody everybody should use at one point. You know it helps you elevate your career, helps you learn, and you know it's basically it's basically like the NBA kind of in some in some ways, but it's basically it's sometimes it's not. So I mean the G League is a grind and you know it prepares you for bigger things coming up. Which which has nicer chairs, the one your NBA chair, your G League chair, or the the ones that they have for the uh, the guys who play in the um, esports league? <laughs> as far as chairs, you're talking about like um, locker room chairs or bench chairs? Oh, uh, bench bench chairs. I, I I've seen I, I've been over to that Sixers complex. I, I assume you've been there to see what the, what the what that esports stuff is like. Those guys have it pretty good, huh? Yeah, it's pretty good. I feel like all the chairs are comfortable comfortable to me as long as they got a cushion and I can lean back every now and then maybe. But, I mean, it's pretty comfortable to me, all the chairs. With regard to this uh, eSports thing, I know that you, you lost best two out of three. Uh, the Blue Coats were one of the 12 teams that were doing the G League thing. Is that something that, it, unfortunately, if this thing continues, are you going to be out there? Are you going to do it with Michael Bryson again? Are you going to do it with Adam? Or are you out there on Twitch or any place like that? Oh uh, yeah, um, I recently downloaded Twitch. I've been ga- I've been gaming a lot, obviously, since with this um pandemic going on. But yeah, I'm on Twitch. I, I, I just started, so I'm trying to get myself out there a little bit more. But you know, I definitely can see myself doing you know more stuff like the um e- esports tournaments and stuff with Michael. 
as far as 2K, you know, I can do 2K, I can do Madden, I can do whatever. I play Call of Duty. You know, it's not, it's not, I don't always just play 2K. I play um, Madden and Call of Duty a lot, too. So I can definitely see myself doing more stuff like that. What's your hey, go with The longer this goes, we're going to get Jeff on Twitch. I'm just happy that he knows what it is now. So we're going to get him <laughs> on there. We'll get him gaming from his house. And then he can play you in a little bit of Madden. Right, Jeff? That, yeah, we can, definitely, you for that. we can definitely, can definitely play Madden. can definitely play Madden. I love Madden. Uh, I, I might have just a tiny bit better chance of that than if I played him in a game of horse. <laughs> tiny. Not much, not much bigger, Jeff. All right. Well, Haywood, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you back, not only with the Blue Coats, but up with the Sixers. And I'll make sure that I will be in that building. And once you get back there, rooting you on. Appreciate you guys for having me. Thank you. Take care, Haywood. Yes, sir. So, Jason. You're back. Thank you so, so much for the time, Haywood. Yeah, so so just, just so everybody knows, we're testing out some new stuff around here. So it may be just a little glitchy today, but uh, we're going to have it all up and running by next week. We're, we're, Jason and I don't have the uh, pleasure of being in the same room right now. So uh, I would love to be hanging out with Jeff, but instead I'm hiding in my car right now trying to get reception for Wi-Fi to be able to do this. Yeah, so everybody should everybody should picture like Jason just driving around. If you see him in your neighborhood with his laptop, I'm not, is he I'm not driving? <laughs> I'm sitting with a laptop up to my face so that hopefully it sounds okay. So Jeff can see my big schnoz. And he's right there, ready to see the whole thing. Jeff, why don't we get back into sports a little bit? Let's talk a little bit about the NBA draft. Um, they sent a memo around saying that in-person workouts and interviews are banned right now. Teams can do virtual interviews, no individual workout footage. But they still hope to try and go forward with the draft. Your thoughts on how the NBA is handling this all? I really don't understand some of the rules they come up with. So the idea that you can't view any individual workout footage of players, what's the point? I understand. I mean, I understand what they're trying to get at, which is they don't want to create some sort of competitive advantage. Let's face it. The college basketball season made it all the way to, to the NCAA tournament where it stopped right before the, the tournament started. So you have a full season, at least one, of those players. You probably have their high school footage. You probably have however many years they played before that. There is absolutely no reason to ban them if somebody goes out in their driveway and shoots. I don't know what the value of it would be other than to see what their form is. But the fact is the NBA is just coming up with rules, it seems like, just for the sake of coming up with rules. The thing that I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about is the inundation of, of players that are now opting for the NBA. And there aren't that many spots. The G League is going to be filled up with college basketball stars because I think what's happening is because of the uncertainty of what we're all going through is college basketball players are saying, am I going to go back to school when there's virtually either no chance or the, the, the odd situation of not knowing if college basketball is going to happen or do I opt to go to, to the NBA draft and hope that I can get a paycheck? And I think that that's causing some players to, to go pro early. I know, again, I know I'm relating it to Michigan. Michigan had a five-star athlete who just said that he was decommitting and he was going to go to the NBA. Yeah, we had that the guy from Israel who said that he's gonna, he's gonna, he just announced he's going on to the NBA draft. He announced that on ESPN. And you have this other guy who was some people say was going to be the the top player in basketball as a as a freshman who's decided to opt out and go into this G League thing. 
So you have a lot of movement, and I don't think it's all necessarily good movement. I think when you look, if you're going to be a first round pick, that's okay. If you're not going to be a first round pick, how much money are you going to make? Unless you're going to go to the G League and do the developmental thing, but there's only going to be so many spots there too. I mean, there's a lot of guys coming out in this draft. So what's the trickle down that falls there? Do more players end up overseas because there's fewer spots in the G League? How does this all play itself out? Do you have players that are a little, what they would call less talented at this point, staying in college now rather than going to the G League? What's your thought on where it's going to go? Well, um, what I'm hoping is, remember, they have with the draft that you can go get evaluated and get your evaluation sheet and then decide if you want to go back, as, I think, as long as you don't have an agent. As long as that's going to happen, uh, I think the evaluations are going to have to be all done, video conference, Zoom, however they're going to do them at this point. Uh, as long as that evaluation process still happens in some form to give guidance to these guys then I think what's going to happen is a lot of these guys are going to come back, or I would think that it would be in their best interest to come back. The G League is going to become an even better product, though, if a lot of them don't come back, because that's what they're going to have to do. I guess they can go to Europe, but quite frankly, we don't know when we're all going to be able to travel, especially travel outside the country. So if, if, I'm, if I'm a kid in college right now, that's not an option that I'm thinking is going to be on the table for me in the foreseeable future. Do you? I, I don't think you can plan for it, but I think that these leagues have some challenges in terms of trying to restart. I mean, you look at the state like Florida that's allowing events without crowds. You you see the stories coming out. You know, the NBA wants to potentially do their own coronavirus testing. As somebody who's done marketing and PR, given the climate there is right now, that's going to be a bad look for a league where their players are getting tested while other people aren't. Well, let, um, come on, let's face it. That's been a, that's the NBA hasn't exactly handled this with a plum from the yeah, outside, right? You're talking about blowing that up even more, and I I think that that could be a challenge. Um, but you know, in, in the long term, do these players want to come back? We we saw this week baseball talking about their potential idea to sequester their players and their biggest star, Mike Trout is out there going, wait a second, you know, let, let's talk about this. Are, and I asked you about this are not deemed essential, but are players sort of being considered essential because of the psyche of a nation that wants to watch sports. You saw a lot of the heads of these groups meeting at the white house. We're not a political show, but is sports going to be the leading edge to trying to bring this country back, it seems? Well, let's face it. Sports was was a leading indicator, if you don't want to say edge, for, for this kind of, to shutting it down. I mean, the NBA shut down first, and, and look what happened afterwards. Every It, this, it was just a domino effect. But, uh, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't call sports essential. What I would call it is it's a fabric of the nation. It's part of of what gets us through many of us, not everyone, but it gets a lot of us through. It's a diversion it, and it's a necessary diversion. And it's something that we all enjoy. Um, it, it's important that it come back, but state by state cannot say a sports essential with other states saying it's not, we have 30 plus teams in each of the four major leagues. Then you have the, you have the MLS, you have a bunch of leagues and, and some of them also not only have state components, but they also have an international component. So in the, in the NHL, more than any other, 
you have a bunch of Canadian teams. In the MLB, you have a Canadian team. In, in basketball, you have a Canadian team. You're going to have to consider how you're going to coordinate all of that unless you're going to have it on one, in one place. But back to your comment about Mike Trout, you know, you hear some people criticizing him because he doesn't want to go and be sequestered for four months without his family when I believe his wife may be pregnant. You know, people need to think twice before they start attacking athletes unless they're also going to go out there and do that. This is a difficult situation for everybody. I don't think people like Mike Trout and, and more locally for us, Zach Wheeler, um, I think it's it's right for them to say, okay, what is my life going to be like? Am I going to go lock myself in a, in, a, in a hotel room for the next four months and not be able to be in contact with my family or see the birth of my child? And if the rest of the nation isn't ready, then I don't understand why athletes who are going to be in close proximity to each other, I mean, how are they going to sit, how are they going to sit in the dugout together? Uh, the, Six the, feet apart. Either that or they're all going to sit in the stands and they're going to sit six feet apart or seven feet apart or 13 feet apart. And they'll each each player will sit in a different section. There's there's an absurdity to this, even though we want to get back. Now, you have the PGA. The PGA is now set a, a date that they're going to have their first event in Texas without fans. And it's been embraced almost universally by the by the actual golfers. I think I think it was Pat Perez was the only one who expressed some concern but even he, when they, when they said, well, are you going to play? And he said, heck yeah. Um, so players want to get back and play, but they want to know the same thing that the rest of us want to know, right? Is, are we going to be sp- safe when we go out and do it? Golf, it's a little easier to do it. You know, maybe you don't have your caddy. Maybe golfers are going to have either a golf cart or maybe they're going to have to carry their own bags or have a little, you know, pull cart behind them. But you don't have to. With golf, you can find simple ways to avoid contact instead of having a threesome or on the final two days just having a twosome. You have one guy on each hole, right? So there are ways. There are ways. Golf is a simpler thing to do, and it'll create some diversion. Maybe it'll increase interest with people who were not, you know, big avid fans of golf. Um, But the other sports have a lot more to consider, and it's going to be a lot harder to get them back. Yeah, golf, I think, because of the ability to keep your distance is one of the easier ones to try and do. Maybe like a NASCAR where you're in your own car and away from people. But again, it's it's as much the players on the field as the staff that need to make these games happen. And so you're not just talking about players. You're talking about teams and facilities and people that So even if you if you open it in a small, still a lot that goes into that. Um, we got about five minutes left, Jeff. I want to get to the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Rod, are you going to uh, hang out outside Roger Goodell's house when he does the draft from his? Yeah, I, look, I, I, there, there is, there is a humor to this that uh, supposedly people were trying to tweet out Roger Goodell's address so they could stand outside his house and boo. Um, there is something funny about that, but nobody should be tweeting out anybody's ad- address if that's actually happening. No, what they and- should do is they should open a line. So if they're going to have one of these Zoom calls or something, they should have like a separate line that they can that, that people can just call in and boo. That's all you can do. Or you can cheer. Yeah, those are your two options, and that's it. But, I mean, Roger Goodell's going to be in his basement. I wonder if we see more surprises in the draft this year because a lot of times you see these professionals at pro days and – you get a little bit of a group think, you know, they may think for themselves and bring it back to their teams, but there's a lot of the same opinion shared. These guys haven't been together in a 
since the senior bowl, basically. Everybody's doing their own evaluations on different things. I just wonder if there's a little less certainty in what goes on in the draft this year because of the lack of certainty what's going on around the draft. I think there's just a lot less certainty because of the players that are involved in this draft. You have a, you have a guy who would be likely the number one pick in the draft in Tua um, had he not had those injuries. I think that he would even be above Joe Burrow. And you have all the uncertainty with him. And that alone is creating, because there are other good quarterbacks. I don't know if they're great, but there's Justin Herbert. There's Jordan Love. There, there's a bunch of guys out there, and there are a bunch of people that need them. And because nobody knows where Tua is, and because it looks like Joe Burrow probably gets drafted one, and then you have um, Chase Young drafted two, that after that, there's going to potentially be a lot of movement. A lot of people trading up, trading down. Will they take Tua? Will they take Justin Herbert? There are some really good players at the top of this draft, and there's a bunch of wide receivers. So, I mean, I'd love to know in, in, this, in other drafts, what's the most wide receivers taken in the first round? Because there's going to be a run on wide receivers this year. And the Eagles better be one of them. It's a ve- Well, it's a very deep wide receiver draft, but I wonder if, because it's so deep, if they don't try to go in a different direction in the first round. They obviously generally don't value linebacker as much as we'd prefer. But, you know, do they go for a center for when Jason Kelsey's gone? Do they go for another defensive end? Is that a direction they go, thinking that they can get wide receivers in the second and third round because of the depth of the draft? Who's, I the, just best think, team, who's the best team in the NFC East, in your opinion, right now? Um, the NFC East right now? I mean... It's the Eagles. It's, it, it, come oh, on. in the East, yeah. Yeah, it's the Eagles. So do, do you now draft a, a, a backup center for the future, or do you go for it now? And, the, and I think the answer for the Eagles has to be they go for it now, and I'll tell you, if T. Higgins is on the board and they don't That's take your him, guy. If, he, if he is on the board and the Eagles do not take him, and, and, it's, and, and there isn't some other wide receiver that they want, I, I'll go bananas. I keep seeing Jerry Judy's name associated with the Eagles from out yeah, now. They're going to have to move way up to get him. <clears throat> now, do you have concerns about what they would have to give up to move up? I just feel like they have a well, bunch of Well, that's why I don't think. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they have to move up to get T. Higgins. But they're going to have to move up to get Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy's going to go in the top the, the top 10. He might go in the top five. Draftees will end up being in their homes with their families. Uh, it's going to be different to watch. That's for sure. You know, I, I've actually seen a couple guys interviewed, and it's kind of entertaining. One, a couple of the guys were, were talking about how they're not going to be able to get their hair styled, how they're – you know, they, they all order these custom suits sometimes I with their, their colleges. Pain. I can't get my hair styled either. Yeah, well, well, that's you have your Eagles cap on, so you're set to go. But, I do. Uh, In fairness, Jeff did ask me before the show when we saw each other if I took it off between last week and this week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you answered the question either. I took it off, but then I oh, put it okay. back on. Look, yeah. my hair's getting long, man. You know this is an issue for me. But um, some, some of these guys, are they're, they're having a problem getting these suits delivered to them on time, so... I think they're going to have fun with this. I think that you're going to see guys with fun stuff in the background. Hopefully nobody will do something really dumb, but hopefully they'll have a lot of fun with this. This is not something that you want to happen every year or to become any type of standard. But I think this year, more than anything else, they have to find a way to make this fun. Hey, we have like less than two minutes left, Jeff. Um, Should NASCAR stop with virtual races because their drivers keep getting in real problems? (laughs) 
Should they stop with virtual racists or vers- virtual racists? Well, that too. Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, no, they shouldn't. People shouldn't have to stop playing video games or doing anything. All they have to do is stop saying stupid things. <laughs> I, all Kyle Larson had to do was not utter the N-word, right? He is the, in the it, diversity program, correct? W- w- which is rather ironic. It, 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 there's, no, there's no excuse for him doing it. And and for other people to not be able to do something because they they have a good heart and, and are able to do it without making those comments, don't take it away from everybody else. Just take it away from Kyle Larson. That's going to be it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.